and welcome to Neither the Time Nor the Space, a podcast about Doctor Who. My name is David, and as always, I am joined by the multidimensional Matt. Hello there, David. Um, I, I just need to correct you there. Okay. So you, you've just said, hello and welcome to Neither the Time Nor the Space. Yes. We, we now need to amend that opening. Right. Uh, because we received an email this week. Oh, right. Okay. That's exciting. Okay. Now, luckily, I think I managed to open it, screenshot it, and delete it before you had a chance to read it. Right. Uh, but it's an email from Carlos at Podstatus. Ooh. Okay, what, so this what, isn't what, a sponsored... What is Podstatus? Well, it's not sponsored, don't worry. Right. You don't. Uh, basically, it's one of those websites that, like, ranks all podcasts and whatever. Mm-hmm. So I want you, from now on, to say hello and welcome to... Singapore's 85th favourite podcast in the TV and film category, <laughs> Neither the Time Nor the Space. Ah, that's amazing. We uh, cracked crack the top 100 in Singapore. That's amazing. Like, I, I didn't know we had any listeners in Singapore. Maybe it doesn't take that many to crack the top 100. Well, but, the, I, I mean, if we genuinely do have listeners, if this isn't an anomaly, and we genuinely do have listeners in Singapore... Um, hello, thank you so much for listening. Uh, do drop yeah. us a line. Fun- funnily enough, this week I've been working on my uh, Chinese Mandarin. Right. Um, which I believe is one of the spoken uh, languages over there. So I'm mm-hmm. going to attempt this. So uh, I'm sorry if the pronunciation's a little off, okay? I'm going to warn you, David, my, my cadence when I speak changes a little bit when I go to Mandarin. Yeah. So yeah, sorry, my yeah. voice goes slightly more high pitched when I uh, I uh, I speak Mandarin. I mean, it, what, however you have to get get by with it, it's 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 challenging learning a new language. So um, yeah. Um, yeah. I hope you didn't just tell our Singaporean listeners to fuck off. <laughs> I, I never would. I never would. <laughs> No, that's that's our you, you, target you demographic. You haven't called them a bunch now. of fucking dorks, then. No, they're our target demo. We're we've gonna, right. we you know, we're we're gonna go for a bit of Asian flavour today. <laughs> that's exciting. I mean, it's what you know. Hollywood keeps trying to crack China, do, don't they? Do you know what? I have been to Singapore. Yeah. Uh, and I have two Singapore stories, both very short, but both mm-hmm. penis related. I'll tell you what. Give us one now, and and see if you can find an opening for the other at a later uh, date in the podcast. An opening for a penis? Oh, yeah. David. Oh, David. <laughs> um, do you want the story where I'm stood up or sat down? Um, let's start standing up. Uh, this one's the shorter of the two. Okay. Uh, basically, the greatest we I've ever had is in <laughs> Singapore. And and will you elaborate as to why? Uh, I don't think I will. I might. That might be today's contest. Just why? Uh, <laughs> what made this we particularly satisfying? Uh, uh, well, I may as well say um, Singapore Airport. When you go to the urinal, yeah, it's in front of two-way glass, so you can watch the planes land and take off whilst you're having a little whittle. Oh, that's quite fun. Yeah. 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 So. Yeah, that's genuinely that, that's that, that's an appealing notion to me. Yeah, so our our affection for Singapore goes two ways. They love us, we love them. <laughs> yes, indeed. Well, certainly we we love their airport urinals. Yeah, if nothing else. Um, 
Alrighty then. Uh, right, I've, I've got a, quite a few points to get through this morning. All right. I, 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 first, again, I've got to, again, apologise. No Time Love Victorious update for me this week. Just having a time. Did you watch Daleks this no, week? No. Right. None I, of it. Sorry. I, I won't spoil it, but I I cannot extrapolate any joy from that show. <laughs> Not even talking about it every week and, and just telling me how crap it is. No, because it, it's thoroughly unenjoyable. You know, mm. You know last week where... I made a point of saying every episode there's like a plot and it just ends with, ha ha, we betrayed you. Yep. Same this week. Yep. Also... Like I say, I'm pretty sure that is just the, like, borrowing the style of the comics that inspired it. Um, I don't think I've mentioned this before. We've talked about how rubbish the story and the animation is. Yeah. The opening theme music is just an assault on the ears. It's quite harsh, isn't it? Yeah. 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 It Plus, gives me... I, I never expect it when it arrives. So they'll just be talking and they'll be like, ha ha ha, see you later. And then it like goes, yeah. It kind of gives me um, like early Tangerine Dream or Kraftwerk vibes, mm. which uh, is not a bad thing as far as I'm concerned. What's but, your favourite uh, Kraftwerk song? You're not allowed uh, to talk about it for twenty minutes. It's just a simple answer, David. You see, I'm not. I'm. I'm. I'm not like intimately familiar with a lot of their albums. Um, probably Autobahn. I, I would say if you go back a few episodes, you remember when I talked about uh, Top Coldplay at length. Yeah. Uh, their song "Talk" samples the Kraftwerk song "Computer Love," which yeah. is my favourite Kraftwerk song. Well, there you go. All right, I'm just going to put that on the docket for next week. Craftwork <laughs> recap. <laughs> uh, what else have I got written down? So you haven't watched Daleks. I'll cross that off. Yeah. Uh, have you had fun this week? Have you done anything fun? Um, have I done anything fun? Um, not really. Yeah. Well, the good news is now that lockdown's been lifted... Yep. Morrison's Cafe's open again. Hooray! I went and had breakfast yesterday. And I'm starting to think Morrison's Ultimate Breakfast might be too big for me. I think I'm going to downgrade just to large breakfast. Mm. I think that's that's showing your age, isn't it? Yeah. Because I I remember when I was in my 20s, I, I... I was just I could just eat like a human dustbin and like I'm not saying I was skinny because I wasn't but like I I I could get away like I could I could eat dreadfully for days at a time and not feel any particular side effects yeah. now if I have one slightly overindulgent meal I'm fucked for a week yeah you I know? find now if I even look at a pringle I can barely walk yeah it's just, what, what happens? What happens inside us when you hit your 30s? I don't know. I don't. It's, uh, it's depressing, isn't it? I don't know. But on that topic, uh, yeah. what, what have you had for breakfast today? Um, just, just toast. It's just toast? Same, same, old time, same old, same old, really. Yeah. What about you? Uh, I haven't had breakfast yet today. I'm going to my mum's for lunch, so I'm sort uh. of saving space. Ah, that's that's good forward planning, that is. Right, so I can tick breakfast off today's list. 
You do know that, although it doesn't seem it, I do keep a, a little running order. <laughs> I'm glad one of us does. Right, so that brings us to this week's quiz. It does indeed. Okay, and... so before we start, we've had some donations this week. Ooh, exciting. And questions, which I probably should have loaded up first. Here we go. Right, so if we go back to last week, David. Yep. Okay, so if we go back to last week, we have your nemesis has Ooh, yes. made a donation, and last week he tied in score with you. Ooh. And he says, to be fair to David, I was lucky I'd literally just watched the Sensorites, so knew the century it took place in. Mm. Okay, and then the next two donations, I'm going to change the order, because they're two questions, but I think one of them deserves more talk time than the other. Righty-ho. Okay, so this one is an anonymous donation. Yeah. It says, if you have raised £250, of which we've actually surpassed, we're we on have. £274. Oh. Uh, that's, uh, that is one quarter of your £1,000 goal. Does that mean you will kiss for one quarter of the promised four minutes? <laughs> one minute of on-air kissing. That's not how it works. No, I feel I feel like we've talked about that and not explained anything at all that's going on. So if you are tuning in for the first time... Matt, no one is tuning in for the first time. Look, right? Stan Lee's attitude at Marvel was every comic book is somebody's first comic book. Okay, so our right, attitude explain is... explain it all again for the listeners. Okay, so every week we are in the run-up to Christmas doing what is called the Wheelie Big Quiz, named after Wheelie Big Cheese, our favourite robot ro- was robot. If you want more information on that, you've got to go back and listen to the previous hundred and whatever episodes. Uh, so we are raising. I believe I, I was quite excited when I saw I was uploading uh, last week's and it said hundred and eleven. Oh wow, that's one not, one not, one, and that's not including the bonus episodes. So we are raising some money for the Teenage Cancer Trust. We do mm-hmm. a little quiz every week. David answers six questions from Doctor Who Trivial Pursuit in an idea that we ripped off from our friends at the Married to Who podcast, who they and... in turn ripped off from another podcast. <laughs> Yeah, all right. Lay off, mate. They're our friends. (laughs) And if David scores six out of six for the week, which he is yet to do, the total is increased to £10. Mm. We've set various targets, you know, over the last few weeks. If you haven't heard David drink a pint of baked beans... uh, I I can't say you're missing out. That is the episode (laughs) to listen to. But we have agreed if we raise £1,000, we will kiss on air for four minutes. Mm. So, is that a no-go, David? £250. Yeah, no, that's not how it works. We, ne- we never said it was, it was you know, an incremental thing. Have it's you ever heard the phrase, the customer is always right? Uh, yes, and I've worked in customer service, and that is untrue. Okay. I just think, like, the first hit's free, and you pay for the second. So, if we do a little kiss, people might be generous. <laughs> Are you regretting setting the bar so high for the kissing uh, goal? Matt? Yeah, ne- next year it's going to be one pound ten minutes kissing. <laughs> right. So here's a question. Thankfully, we have finished with the shag marry kill, which I might even use as the answer to this question. Right. So this is an anonymous donation, mm-hmm. and it just says, "Tell us something about the podcast we may not know." 
Oh, that's very open-ended, isn't it? Right. Yeah. Um, so I alluded to mine last week. I didn't like the concept of Shag Marry Kill, although it did lead yeah. me into some nice impersonations of the yeah. Doctor. So something about our podcast people might not know, David. Okay. Um, I'll tell you what I'll say. Um, though we, we've known each other quite a bit um, prior to starting the podcast, it was really only ever round the D&D table. Mm-hmm. We didn't really socialise much outside of that, I think it's fair to say. Yeah. You know, and occasional other gaming as well, but like really that's how we got to know each other, which is a very specific context into which, which to get to know someone. Um so I'd say I have learned a lot more about you through doing this than I ever would have through playing D D. Um and one of the things I, I will I will be honest, I genuinely expected you to be properly into Doctor Who by this point. <laughs> oh really? <laughs> I thought I thought if nothing else by series five, you'd be hooked. I thought series four would would kind of warm you up and then bang into the Moffat era, and you're just like, "Yep, yeah, I'm sold. This is great." I don't know. And it's some, not some would argue that way. Some would argue if I've done 111 episodes, then maybe I am. <laughs> I, I mean, if you are, you certainly don't let on on air, do you? No. Um, I think something people may not know. Uh, fairly frequently I record without wearing any trousers just to make myself comfortable. Um, That'll do. Yeah. So there we which, go. Which probably um, leads me into my second penis story. Oh, go on then. Uh, well, funnily enough, this isn't about my penis. Okay. Uh, uh, when I was in Singapore, in Singapore airport, um, because I've been to Australia twice now and both times... I stayed in Singapore Airport for a little bit. Sure. Um, so, yeah, I spent a few months living out in Australia. And I went to a restaurant, the only one I could find in Singapore Airport, where it had English on the menu. Right. Uh, so I looked, and a lot of it was in, is it kanji, like Chinese symbols? Right, yeah. And on the menu, it had what's called torpedo soup. And I thought, oh, it's probably just going to be like spicy Chinese soup. Right. Uh, and when it came, it was an entire bull's penis spiralling around the bowl, <laughs> floating in this murky grey broth. Oh, my God. Yeah. So the dilemma was, I'm not going to eat for a few hours. Do I eat this bull's penis? And I opted <laughs> against it. I just thought, I can survive hungry. Mm. And... So I left the restaurant and turned a corner in the airport and there was just a long corridor that had McDonald's, Burger King, Subway, everything, <laughs> all in English. Oh, man. So yeah. I must remember when I put the artwork out for this week's episode, I'm just going to put penis special extravaganza. <laughs> Excellent. Right. Um, so, anyway, that leads us into this week's Wheelie Big Quiz. It does. Okay, so, David, this week, as part of the Wheelie Big Quiz, I have a treat for you. Do you indeed? And it's... Well, I say treat. I have <laughs> been in touch with your ongoing quiz nemesis. Yes. So, for those of you that are unaware... Every week, as part of the quiz, um, we have a competitor for David who 
answers the questions and makes a donation based on whether they beat David, whether David equals their score, or whether they don't score as high as David. Okay, mm-hmm. so I'm gonna do a big reveal now, David. Okay, it's not as though we've been chatting for five or ten minutes <laughs> off record. Um, so, Nemesis, what's your name? Where you're from, and most importantly, what have you had for breakfast? <laughs> uh, my name's Jake. I'm from North Dakota in the United States, and I had oatmeal with a banana this morning. Oh, lovely. Mm. Lovely. So, so, some of our listeners may recognize Jake's voice. I, I was actually unaware that you were the nemesis until I reached out. Um, a little funny story, Jake. I actually thought at one point, I don't know if you've heard on our pod of Jacobus X, the mystery contributor to our show. Oh, I'm I actually aware. for a for a spell, I thought that was Jacob US and thought that was you. Ah. But turns out it was just our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> so most of our listeners may be aware that we have a friendship with Jake and his podcast known as Married to Who. So, mm. for any listeners, Jake, that haven't listened to your show, just what's it all about? Well, it's really about me and my huge ego. And I <laughs> the fact that I will only hang out with my friends if they do what I say. So, it's really just an excuse for me to talk about Doctor Who by making my friends who have never seen it before watch it. Something I'm sure the two of you have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> so... My my point of reference is always it's a lot like our pod, but good. I say the same thing about your guys's. I say it's like our oh. podcast, except Matt's funny, and David is actually sincere and thoughtful. Uh, but, <laughs> well, but very, unlike very our podcast, you, you you allow women on your podcast. David's such a misogynist. Yeah. We don't allow women into our recording. Yeah, it's it's a shame, but you know, them's the rules. Yeah. <laughs> So, I, I mean, I, at first, initially, just to tell the tale of how we came into contact with one another, uh, we, we just kind of met on Twitter, really, didn't we? Um, you'd yeah. listened to a few of our episodes and then reached out. And what what I would say, how, how the nicest thing I could say in terms of recommendation, why I sort of fell in love with your pod, was we... Discovered one another in a period, obviously, where we weren't allowed in Britain to see our friends, see our family. So it was just nice to have like a little touch base every week with some friends hanging out, whilst yeah. it was literally against the law for us to hang out with one another here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I've seen David once since February. Yes, I, 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 and I was in a very bewildered state when it was <laughs> happening as well. <laughs> it wasn't exactly uh, quality hangout time, was it? Now, but speaking um, of quality hangout time, yeah, the wheelie big quiz. So this week I, I'm changing the rules Ooh. to the wheelie big quiz, which I mean, Jake, do you do you want to acknowledge the fact we stole this idea from you? No, we all stole it from Verity. <laughs> there we go. There we go. As long as it's not Radio Free Scarrow, we know they're the enemy. Yeah, they're Canadian. Uh, uh. Uh, I didn't even know that. Right. So this week, we're going to go head to head. Six questions for David, six questions for Jake. Yep. Standard rules apply. One pound per question. If you get all six out of six, 
it totals up to £10. Okay. So, the big change this week is we're going to go one after the other, taking turns. And if you answer your question incorrectly, the opposition can steal that point. Right then. Okay. So, Jake, as the guest, do you want to call heads or tails? Always tails. Uh, and I say heads or tails, it's more a bottle cap off the beer, and it is <laughs> tails, with the brew dog dog representing heads. Okay, mm. so, uh, would you like card A or card B, Jake? Uh, card A. Right, so, your first question comes from the topic Time Lords. What is the name of the place where the 11th Doctor visits his own tomb with Clara, Strax, Vastra and Jenny? Trenzalore. It is. Even I'd have got that one. <laughs> okay, David, your question from Time Lords. Yep. Uh, I'll be honest, slightly more difficult. <laughs> what magazine was the 11th Doctor reading whilst waiting for the Slime Envoy, Father Gideon Vandalore? Okay, just let's just uh can you read that question again? Yeah, it doesn't make it doesn't make any sense. It's a lot what of magazine, information there. So what magazine was the eleventh doctor reading whilst yep. waiting for the slime envoy, Father Gideon Vandalore? Oh Okay, the name is ringing vague bells, but I can't I can't place the episode. And when I think of the eleventh doctor reading a magazine, I can only actually re- it's that image of him um, reading the Beano Summer Special, but I know that's not from that episode because that's, I'm pretty sure, Rings of Akaten. Oh, God, so I need to just have a punt at something, don't I? Another magazine. Uh, I don't know. This is going to be wrong. Good housekeeping. It's not. It's Knitting for Girls, and I shouldn't have read oh. that out. I should have let ah. Jake have an opportunity to steal that. Well, I have a confession here before you can fin- finish with that card. I knew the answer to that because we just read that same card on our quiz just a few right. weeks ago. Man. If yeah. only we had an original idea. <laughs> you know what? I was going to say, Jake, I've, I've been fastidiously avoiding um, listening to uh, the trivia <laughs> sections on your uh, podcast. because I've, be, I've been listening to some Smart. of your more recent episodes and uh, I, I was like, oh, that feels like cheating to me. So I'm going to avoid them. But... Uh, well, you guys also have the updated version. Yours includes um, 12th Doctor questions, I think. And we're, we're using the older one, so I was hoping this wouldn't happen. Mm, right, well, I, have. I tell you what, because I accidentally read the answer out. You can both go for this one, because it's the Time Lord question on the third card that I'm not okay. going to use. So, first answer gets the point. What strange suggestion does the first Doctor make to Kamika, an Aztec lady? Um, he proposes to, uh, he accidentally proposes to her by making hot chocolate. Uh, Correct. So we're watching, Correct. we're watching the Aztecs for our next Brothers in Who two weeks from now. So I haven't seen that in 10 years. Yeah. I, I listened to your episode that dropped this morning, looking at an unearthly child. And I remembered how much I hate Susan. <laughs> <laughs> We we just dropped our Susan episode last night, and uh, if you listen to that, you'll see that you're not alone. Yeah, I'm worried that's where we're going. <laughs> David always keeps it up his sleeve. Okay, so, 
Question two. This round is all about companions. So, Jake, which historical queen ends up joining John Riddle on his hunts on the African plain? Uh, is that Nefertiti? Nefertiti for two points. Okay, David, same topic, companions. Okay. Whose ancestor is Hamish, the foot soldier that the first and twelfth doctor meet at the South Pole? That would be Brigadier Lethbridge Stewart. It is. So we're both tied on two points at the moment. The next topic is episodes and stories. So, Jake, in The Almost People, what substance was a ganger made from? Uh, the flesh. The flesh is correct. Three out of three for Jake so far, David. How are you feeling? Mm, not terribly confident. <laughs> Very happy I picked card A. Yeah. <laughs> okay, David, one from one of your favourite episodes, although I think you've got every question wrong about this episode so far. <laughs> In Human Nature, what was the name of the school that John Smith, a.k.a. the Tenth Doctor, was teaching at? And there's four options to choose from. Is it A, Farringdon, B, Farringham, C, Fairham, or D, Farlington? Oh, this is a complete guess. I'll go A, Farringdon. Okay, so Jake, your uh. options are Farringham, Fairham, or Farlington? Farringham. Farringham is correct. Oh, oh no. Yeah, all right. Okay. Do you actually yeah. like human nature, David? <laughs> you... I mean, yes. Yes, I do. I, these aren't the bits I pay attention to. Okay. Right. Next round, years and dates. Traditionally, David's weak point. Uh, so, Jake, this comes from one of my favourite episodes. How many light years away from Earth was the planet Deimos, where the Daemons were from? Wow. I know you're. this is not one of your favourite episodes. <laughs> I was hoping when you said that it was going to be the twin dilemma because I just watched the first episode last night. Oh, you lucky duck. <laughs> um, is that the one where it's just the twins looking at some clear perspex for 25 minutes? <laughs> yep. I'm going to guess and say 70 light years. Okay, David, how many light years away from Earth oh. was planet Deimos where the daemons were from? Okay, this this is also pure guesswork for me. Um, isn't it arbitrary, like, which ones end up being multiple choice and which ones aren't? Right, it's, yeah, it's just a random number. Yeah, it could be It could be anything. Uh, I, I don't know who pays attention to this. I'll just times yours by 10 and say 700. Uh, you were both miles away. That was 60,000 light years away. Ah, <laughs> wow. Okay, so David, you're currently two points behind, so here's your years and dates question. Okay. Okay. Which English king did the doctor tell Lady D'Souza he had visited in the year 924? It's going to be one of those ones with, like, a weird Latin name. Um, So I'm going to guess Ethelred? That is incorrect. So, Jake, which English king did the doctor tell Lady D'Souza he had visited in the year 924? Um, yeah, a lot of them were named James, right? Let's say James. 
Uh, it wasn't. It is King Athelstan. Oh, <laughs> you were so close. Uh, yeah, I guess. I mean, I'm sure Ethelred and Athelstan are very different kings. I've never heard of either. <laughs> okay, so the next round is monsters. So, Jake, your question. What revolting creature was clinging to the ceiling of floor 500 on Satellite 5? Oh, man, how much of his name do I have to say? Uh, oh, God. I know Simon Pegg calls him Max. Uh, I'll say Jagerfess or Max for short. Okay, so the correct answer is the mighty Jagerfess of the holy Hadrajasic Maxeradenfo, but it does specify Jagerfess will do. So that takes you to five points for the week. David, yep. your question on monsters. Okay. What kind of giant creature lives on Metabellis 3? Giant spiders. Correct. Okay, now it's my favourite round, Cast Crew and Beyond. Uh, it's always beyond. Always beyond. Uh, Jake, I, you've been in touch in the past to say that your knowledge of British sitcoms is what lets you down. <laughs> well, good luck. Mm. So, your question. Apart from appearances on Doctor Who, what musical achievement links the comedians Hayland Pace and stand-up Peter Kay? I will say they've both won Grammys. Now, as an American, have you any concept of Hayland Pace? <laughs> None whatsoever. Okay. They are the... Is it fair to say the detritus of British comedy, David? Oh, they're, they're certainly amongst them, that's for sure. Yeah. So, um, I guess this goes over to me then. Um, you know what? I, I'm going to struggle with this as well. Um, my first thought was that maybe Hale and Pace are um, the ones that did that uh, snooker song, Snoop, Snooker Loopy, but that was Chaz and Dave, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, and obviously Peter Kay did uh, Is This the Way to Amarillo? So, um, oh, I've no idea. I'm just going to guess um, they both had a number one? No. Okay. So, you were close when you were thinking of the Peter Kay Amarillo song because that was the single released for Comic Relief. And Halen Pace also did a Comic Relief song. Ah. Are you not familiar with The Stonk? <laughs> no, thankfully I am not familiar with the stonk. Yeah, they invented a dance called the stonk. It didn't catch on then, I take no. it. I I'm almost ashamed. <laughs> right, okay, so David, final question, cast crew and beyond. Okay. Okay, you're playing for pride here because the current score is 5-3. Yeah. So which Liverpudlian psychic appeared as himself in Army of Ghosts? Oh, I know this. It's it, it's on the tip of my tongue, but I I just ah uh, no I'm not I'm not going to get it. I'm just going to have to guess a random name. It's uh, to Tony Gubbins. I don't know. So Jake, which Liverpudlian psychic appeared as himself in Army of Ghosts? Oh, I know it's... It. I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. Do it. I have no idea. It's Derek Okora, isn't it? 
It is Derek Akora. Nice. Okay. Right, well, since you'd lost anyway, because this is for charity, I'm going to give you that point. So that. Oh, no, I don't need your pity point. <laughs> uh, I think you do. I think you do. Yeah. Okay, so. so... So, Jake, now we got that out of the way, can we talk about Classic Who for two hours? Yay. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think I hear my wife calling. I think my tea's ready. <laughs> have, I, I've been watching... Uh, the two- have you seen The Two Doctors? Yes, I have. Yeah, it, it's it's insane, isn't it? It's like... it's Yeah, it's bad shit. What, how, how, how is it possible... How is it possible that you've got a multi-doctor story? That's the whole appeal of it, right? And... I'm an hour and a half in, and the doctors haven't actually shared any screen time with each other yet. It's it's insane to me. I don't want to spoil anything. That does not change. <laughs> oh God, really? Oh, that's um, I'm, I'm dreading watching the last part of it now. <laughs> um, and why is there an eight foot Sontaran in it? Oh, the height differences of Sontarans over the years is insane. Yeah, it's just that there's no consistency there whatsoever. So, just just to talk about an episode I have seen, because obvi- obviously we know this because we're recording a full episode and definitely not a snippet the night before. Yeah. Uh, we, we're just about to talk about Flatline, Jake. Do you have any thoughts on that story? Uh, yeah, Flatline's good. Um, it's, a, it's a nice vehicle for Jenna Coleman. Have you seen it already, Matt? Yeah, I watched it last night. Okay, uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's a Dr. Light episode, and Jenna really gets to shine. But yeah, I think I, I tweeted at you, it's one of my favorite writers, one of my favorite directors, mm. and, you know, them all together with a good performance by Jenna is a very fun episode. Yeah, I've noticed, um, I mean, we'll probably talk about this tomorrow when we record properly, David. Yeah. But is it Douglas McKinnon? He, yeah. He just seems mm. to be good. Whenever he appears, he's like... A bit of a seal of quality for me. Yeah, yeah, no, for he's sure. definitely he's a, he's a very uh, very safe pair of hands, a very good director. Uh, um, I hate to say it, I have a feeling, unless I'm mistaken, Jake, this is his last one. No, I think you're right. Yeah, so mm. see one one thing I think we need to talk about is is uh, this week the Christmas presents have gone in the post. Oh. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry, Jake. Uh, there were a couple of bits that I wanted to chuck into it. I didn't get the opportunity to. Um, we'll have to figure something else out for those at some oh, point. Uh, when, when, when's your next uh, sort of podcast anniversary? Maybe I can sort um, something out for then. Well, we don't really keep track. I think the one I put out last night, our Susan episode, was our 152nd episode, right. if you count the brothers and the marrieds all together. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. And being as we're also kind of not on a government-enforced lockdown, but a self-enforced lockdown, we, uh, we've we been doing the brothers more frequently, like every fortnight instead of once a month. Yeah, yeah. So we, we could get there in 30 weeks. Ooh, excellent. Right. I'll, I'll see if I can figure something see, out. It, it was very much like an episode of Mr. Bean when I was trying to post your gifts out. Because... <laughs> uh, <laughs> Initially, I was just like, I'm just going to be really generous and all the Doctor Who stuff I've accumulated can just go in the box. And then there was just a real dour old lady at the post office that was like shipping his 50 pounds. 
Oof. Uh, yeah. so oh, is that what it was? It, it's slightly less than that because I bet... I was very curious. I was going to ask because uh, yours yours was particularly heavy, so it was more. But I sent something very light to a Twitter friend of ours, and that was $68. Mm. I, That's crazy. I, I basically removed hardback books and got it down to less than 20 quid. So... Apologies, listeners, if uh, this segment has been a bit truncated. My recording cut out uh, halfway through. Um, so, uh, unfortunately, you, you missed... Uh, to be honest, you, you mostly missed Steely Dan talk. So, uh, you know, whether or not that's a loss to you, I'll, I'll let you be the judge. Um, but, yeah, we kind of just wanted to, at the very least, wrap up and say uh, a huge thanks to Jake for, for uh, joining us for this. It's been really, really fun. Yeah, no, thank you. It was great. And of course, if you are listening to this, you should check out Married to Who. Oh, absolutely. You, you'll end up migrating away from us, and we don't blame <laughs> you. Just don't listen to anything before Partners in Crime. That's all garbage. It took us 100 episodes to kind of figure out our voice. See, I, I can't We're believe... still figuring it out. Our, our episode, the crescendo of David drinking a pint of beans... The, the numbers were going up and up and up, and that is our lowest reviewed episode for months. Oh, no. Yeah. Well, I, I shout at my phone every week, more banter, less talk about Doctor Who, please. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's that's lo- lovely for you to say, but uh, I, I, I still ha- find I, I have the opposite issue. It's it's every week I'm trying to rein Matt in and <laughs> If I get if if we if we actually manage to start talking about the episode uh, under under forty five minutes into the episode, I count that as a victory at this point. (laughs) I I knew I'd found my own people. Where my Twitter is essentially me taking pictures around a supermarket of various things that caught my interest. (laughs) (laughs) You had like a ten tweet conversation with someone this morning about your breakfast so i i feel like you found your people definitely if only we had this idea before bloody off menu took off (laughs) bastards yeah yeah okay i was gonna say we have it takes six of us to barely talk about doctor who for half an hour before we have to play games to fill out a whole hour (laughs) i I mainly tune in now um i'm sort of in the period of your pod where Terry's on board. And I just like his fashion reviews every week. Yeah, me too. That's that's what he's there for. <laughs> right. Should we call time right. there, gents? Uh, so, yeah, I think so. It's well, been an uh, absolute pleasure to have you, Jake. Hopefully we'll yeah, talk again soon. Thanks, guys. Pleasure is all okay. mine. Okay. If right. we don't see you before, have a safe Christmas and a happy new year. You as well. Thank you. Awesome. Take care. Take care. Cheerio. Wow, what a great episode of the Wheelie Big Quiz. Yeah, yeah. Clearly not I, recorded the day earlier. Yes, and and, and uh, also I'm I'm. It, it is as yet unclear to us how well that recording actually survived and what I've managed to salvage of it in the edit. So uh, who knows? Who we we have no idea really what we're reacting to right now. Do you know- do you know what? I, I've got an idea. I've got yeah. an idea. Because by my calculation, okay, this episode will be dropping on the 12th of December. So I think for the final one, I would like listeners 
to send in trivia rather oh, than right. use the Doctor Who Trivial Pursuit. And in particular, I think maybe use trivia from our show. So, for example, like, oh, in the episode Midnight, did Matt rate it as a good episode, bad episode? <laughs> Something like that. I think that could be quite fun. That could be fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Send, send, send that in. I, I, I promise I won't peek at the uh, the emails because, frankly, I never do anyway. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Just put the email subject heading as something like, David, if you read this, you're a prick. Yeah. And then um, that'll teach him. That that's awesome. Yeah, I, I don't know if we'll get we'll get any in, but it uh, it'd be great if somebody does do that. Um, yeah. So we'll be looking for six questions in total. I take it. Yeah. So yeah. if people send in six, I'll be able to chop and change. Hopefully, six people will send them in, and then we can. That would be make cool. it a bit fair. Okay. So right, one then. final thing before we jump into today's episode. Yeah. It is currently half past ten in the mm-hmm. morning. Yeah. I'm. Expecting an Amazon delivery between half past ten and half past twelve. Do you right. think, David, it's going to interrupt today's recording for a bonus one pound in the wheelie big quiz pop? <laughs> yes or no? Am I going to receive an Amazon delivery today? Yes. Okay. And but I sincerely hope you don't do what you did last time and like leg it down the stairs. Yeah. And and end up out of breath for the next twenty minutes on the episode. Yeah. Yeah. Just be kind to yourself, Matt. It's fine. Okay. So, shall we talk about Doctor Who for a change on our Doctor Who podcast? Uh, I, that would be nice, wouldn't it? Um, yeah. Flatline. Yeah. It's, a, it's an interesting one, I think. Um, how are you ranking it, Matt? So, again, if you're new to this week's episode, we rank our episodes on a scale of good episode, bad episode, mm-hmm. good episode, some bad bits, bad episode, some good bits. Yep. And... There is alternate options such as no emotional attachment, meh, or, you know, we we just pretty much make it up as we go along. We do, rather. Yeah. But in our rating system, I am going to give Flatline, I think I might say good episode. I certainly would. I think it's better than Mummy on the Orient Express. I'll say that for nothing. Mm. Well, I think it had it had a longer gestation period than uh, Mummy on the Orient Express. Because uh, did you clock that it was Jamie Matheson again? Uh, I did. I recognise his name and Douglas McKinnon. Yeah. So Jamie Matheson wrote Mummy on the Orient Express, and that was commissioned after he'd started uh, on Flatline. And actually, Flatline, he pitched, I think, a couple of years prior... Um, to Stephen Moffat and it took a while to kind of get going and for him to actually be commissioned to write it Um, and I think was one that like you know how everyone kind of has the well if you're an aspiring Doctor Who writer you probably have one or two stories that you have a you really want to write like and and this was it for him he really wanted to do something with like two-dimensional monsters um and like he actually, as part of pitching it, he he apparently brought in like illustrations he'd done himself of of what the, they might look like and how they might interact. Um, so like he had a really strong vision for this episode. Uh, whereas Mummy on the Orient Express, that was Stephen Moffat saying saying to him, right, okay, here's the title, here's the basic premise. Can you knock me up that one as well? Because you seem like a smart kid. Yeah. Um. I, and I and I like both, but if I had to choose between them, I think I'd go flatline over Mummy on the Orient Express 
as my favourite of the two. Uh, but also kind of unprecedented in terms of, certainly in terms of uh, the new series, I can't think of any other example of a brand new writer getting two episodes back to back in a series. Yeah. We've I, had Chris Chibnall. we've had showrunners do it, haven't we? Showrunners definitely have had back to back. Chibnall, future showrunner, had back to back, but it wasn't his first story. Mm-hmm. Um, but he had like um, Dinosaurs on a Spaceship and Power uh, uh, Power of Three, which I'm pretty sure are back to back in in Series Seven A. Um, but yeah, so this is kind of it's quite kind of a unique honor, really, yeah. um, for Jamie Matheson. And I think I think Moffat's confidence in him was was well placed because, like I say, this is. <sighs> I have maybe one mild criticism of Flatline. Go on. In terms of the writing. But we'll get to it when we get to it. And it's a very mild one, I think, really, in the grand scheme of things. It's one that I that I can make a lot of excuses for. So But right. other than that, I just think it's everything it aspires to do, it does about as good as you could ever hope for it to be done. If that makes sense. Yeah, I think we we pick on certain aspects of every episode. Yeah. So, for example, we quite often talk about the humour. I think this episode is funny. Oh, yeah, there's some great humour in it. We talk about sort of the tension. I think this episode is tense. Yep. And we often talk about the horror, and I think this episode's quite scary. Yeah, yeah. And so I think it does all three well. Absolutely. And it does it in a way that feels creative and unique. And it's really... Can you imagine any other television show doing an episode like this? Mm. Like even even someone like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, I think, would have been like, uh, I don't know, two two dimensional demons. That's that's going to be a bit tricky to pull off. Mm. Let's just do a do a guy in prosthetics like usual. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, do you want some listener feedback on this episode? Yeah, I'd love some. Okay, so Frank says he loves this episode. It's a shining example of a good Doctor Who mystery adventure mm-hmm. with a creative antagonist. And he Absolutely. hopes we enjoy it. Well, yep. thank you, we did. And for his tea, he had corn steak, gravy pies, chips and sweet corn. Oh, good stuff. No. 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 <laughs> no, no. All right, we get it, guys. You're both vegetarians, whatever. Okay, so... Our next bit of feedback comes from the Married to Who podcast. Who knows when we're going to speak to them next? (laughs) Uh, Says it's pretty good. One of the better Doctor Who writers paired with one of the better better Doctor Who directors. Mm -hmm. Uh, Good concept and a proper creepy monster. And for tea, they had a little turkey left from Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Oh, yes, yes. Happy Thanksgiving to our Americans. They're making turkey tortilla soup, which I said is three foods I didn't think went together, but it sounds amazing. I can't even picture in my head. How how do you incorporate tortillas into a soup? Well, I think it's more the flavours. Right, okay. Don't forget, some some people confuse tortilla, like the wrap, with the contents, don't they? Is that not true? Is that not is that not what you call um, the, those wraps? I because I, I yeah I, I in that case I will hold my hand up. I was one of those people. I yeah, thought the, the, the bread stuff is the tortilla. Yes, but how you prepare it? They can be fajitas, enchiladas, quesadillas. Exactly. So, so if he said if he said tur- like turkey fajita 
Um, so I, 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 that I could have understood because I'd be like, okay, right. So you're using sort of like the heater spacing on, on your turkey and then superfying it. But like in my head, you've just got like some turkey and some wrap all mushed together. Well, it could be. Some <laughs> people be... have like crackers on their soup, don't they? And croutons. So it could just be like yeah, maybe. put some Doritos maybe. on the top. Basically, we need more. We need uh, we need a recipe. Is yeah. what I'm saying at this point. Yeah. Share share your recipe, Jake. So when I catch up to the Married to Who podcast in like eight years' time, uh-huh. I look forward to them just randomly discussing soup recipes. Oh, that'll be good. Okay, now a special one, David. Special bit of listener feedback. Yes. Okay, so this is from our listener Kimberly, who can't remember this episode. Mm. But at time of recording, it's her partner Jack's birthday. So say happy birthday, David. Happy birthday. <laughs> oh, come on. You couldn't even do that right. Come on. Okay. Happy birthday, Jack. Excellent. Well done, David. Yeah. Don't I... you dare cut out the bit where you get it wrong. <laughs> All right. Just because you're in charge of editing doesn't mean you're perfect. <laughs> Leave it in. Oh, okay. Right, right, so, then. episode 9 of season 8, Flatline, yep. from the 18th of October, 2014. Yeah. I'm pretty certain I know where I was when this was recorded. Oh, right, okay, then. I think I had gone for a meal in York for my 29th birthday, because this would have been the Saturday after my birthday. Right. Can you remember where you went? Uh, what what kind of uh, meal uh, it was? We went to Lockfine Fish Restaurant. Ooh, uh, and you said I've... you're not you're not generally a big fish eater, I believe was uh, no, the last week. No, but so you can't, can you remember what you had there? I probably had dressed crab. That's always a go-to for me in terms uh-huh. of starter, and I don't know for men. Whenever I hear that phrase, I can't not imagine a crab in a little tuxedo. Dressed crab. Dressed crab. Every time I hit, I encounter that phrase, that's just the image that pops into my head straight away. Wow. Are we just going to leave that lingering? I mean, I guess if you've got no response to it. No, I, I do not I mean, not there's, no, there's no follow-up there. Oh, crab in a tuxedo. I, I'm just receiving a video call from my brother in Australia. So, Flatline. Yes. We haven't actually started talking about the episode yet, have we? No, I don't think so. Right. Um, but I'm sure there'll be a smooth edit there where people won't realise that I've just been on the phone for 20 minutes. Hopefully. Okay, so the episode opens with a man calling the police. Mm-hmm. He says, I know who did it, they're everywhere, and we have been blind. So immediately this sort of grabbed my attention. Nice little bit of intrigue. Again, I think Jamie Matheson is two for two when it comes to cold opens. I think he really knows how to write a good cold open for a Doctor Who story. Mm. And I like the direction as well, where we see something flash past. We're not certain what. Yeah. And we lose track of the gentleman on the phone. We can't see him anymore. Yeah. Until the the angle and the framing of the shot moves. Yeah. So there's like a streaked colour pattern on the wall, mm-hmm. but as the perspective changes, you see that this man has now been amalgamated into the wall. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, just everything about that—you know, the the direction, the music, 
yeah, the performance. It's really clever. Yeah, really clever and really creepy. Um, uh, so yeah, great cold open. And, okay, we then yeah. have the titles, and following that, we see Clara and the Doctor on board the TARDIS. Yeah. Okay. You um, usual sort of antics. Well, I mean, I say usual. Um, usual for this series in that Clara is lying badly to the Doctor. Yeah, she's telling Porky Pie, saying Danny's okay with her travelling and adventuring again with yeah, the Doctor. But not okay with her leaving her stuff on the TARDIS. Yeah. 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 So, she goes to leave, except the TARDIS door has shrunk. Yes. And when we see the external shot, the TARDIS is about three, four foot tall. Like a child's yeah. playhouse. I love this. I just laugh my head off at this scene every time. Now, when when they filmed this, yes. obviously there's a small TARDIS. Were they both in there? Uh, because we see uh, the Doctor leave, yeah. and it looks like there's only room for him. But then Clara climbs out as well. I think it's just editing. I think because it's a static camera shot, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so just just yeah. uh, just smart editing, I think, to to do that. But uh, yeah, no, it's a great shot. Are you a fan of just like things being the wrong size as as a as a humorous? Yeah, thing? well, I think that's what I found quite funny yeah. in this episode. You know, the fact that like when you see the TARDIS, you can just see Capaldi's face, and yeah. I I don't think we've seen Capaldi be genuinely funny. Yeah, no. we've seen him be witty and sarcastic. But it's, yes, and always creep. in a very sort of stark, acerbic kind of way. I, yeah, I think you're really seeing some. I'd say Mummy as well is where you really start to get glimpses of the of the warmth under that yeah. sort of cold exterior with with Capaldi, and without spoiling things too much, there's there will be more of that to come. So. I think I, I did like the, you're you're starting on, to get a more rounded view of his of his persona. I think at this point, I, I did like where the doctor says, "Don't worry, we're where you were when you left." Ish, and <laughs> Clara's like, "You don't deal in ish. Yeah. What's gone wrong?" Yes, and rather than land in London, they're in Bristol. Yeah. Okay. Now I've just had notification that my Amazon delivery is one stop away. Ooh, okay. Okay, so I'm just going to open my door so I can hear. I might have to leg it at a moment's notice. No problem. But yeah, so, it's it's. I don't think we've, I've ever seen an episode of Doctor Who set in Bristol before. Good excuse for a different accent, isn't it? Yeah. Do you have a fondness for Bristol? Um, I. I saw Cardiacs in Bristol once on board uh, the Thecla, which is a uh, venue on, on on a ship in the in the docks there, um, and the, it's also it's it's a as a as a venue it's got an interesting history. One of my uh, sort of comedy and and general art heroes, Vivian Stanchel of of the Bonzo Dog Band and uh, various other things, he um, renovated that ship. Uh, to uh, it, it to become a theatre, and uh, so he he was like the first person who owned and, and ran it as a venue, and it subsequently just become a general concert venue. Amazing, amazing uh, concert! One of my favourite cardiac gigs I've ever been to. Uh, if nothing else, they they have a they have a song in the in their repertoire called Big Ship, and of course they opened with that. Um, it was a good time. So, 
See, I've never been to Bristol, but I used to catch the Bristol Temple Meads train from Birmingham when I was going to uni. Yeah. So, funnily enough, for the first time, the doctor says he doesn't know what's happening. Yes. So I like that. The doctor's on the back foot. Yes, and, and he's and he's gleeful about it. Like, you know, Clara's stressing and he just says, can you not just let me have this one moment of not knowing thing uh, something? It happens so rarely. Great Which line. I, I think ties into a further point that I think's highlighted pretty well in this episode. Yeah. Is that in many ways the Doctor's a bit like Robin Hood. <laughs> yes. All right. Okay. Do you want to do the other one? Yeah, the moon's an egg. There we go. Moving on. <laughs> right. It's all right. When we get to the end of this series, I'll stop. I hope so. I do hope okay. so. That's how people can date these episodes. They'll be like, oh, is that the uh, the Robin Hood era? <laughs> so, they go to investigate, and they part ways, don't they? The Doctor sort yeah. of hangs around the TARDIS, yeah. trying to work out what's wrong with that. Clara goes to investigate local happenings. Yeah, so basically, this is, this is our Doctor Light episode. Mm. Because Capaldi basically was able to shoot almost all of his scenes... On the TARDIS set on one day in Cardiff, yeah, and and uh, basically this is what Clara, uh, uh, sorry, what Jenna was off doing, whilst Capaldi was focused on doing Mummy on the Orient Express. So they were kind of like you know doing the two, um, sort of side by side. I believe that's how that's the reason they tend to do the Doctor Light and and, and companion light stories. Uh, but again it's done in quite a seamless fashion and apparently it was quite late in the 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 game that that jamie matheson was told uh this needs to be your dr light story so i think the conceit of having the doctor trapped on the tardis came quite you know quite late in the scripting stage Um, but i think it's it's a really good thing because one of the things that this episode does thematically with with clara's journey is Clara effectively has to step into the Doctor's shoes for this story. Yeah, yeah. And they hang a hat on that, don't they? They do. They say, they do. you know, I am the Doctor. Yeah. So at this point, we are introduced to Rigsy, who, for the most part in my notes, I've called Richie because I couldn't read his graffiti tag <laughs> and couldn't really understand his accent. Yeah. Now, I, I, what do you think of Rigsy? I, I like him. He's sort of that lovable rogue, isn't he? Mm. I mean, uh, it, it's interesting because it's like he's one of a, a very small subcategory of what you could call companions' companions. Uh-huh. There are a few examples from Classic Who as well, but where, for whatever reason, a companion ends up getting paired for a story with with someone else who becomes their own little sidekick. And, and and again, they kind of hang a hat on it in this in this uh, episode, you know, um, where where the, the doctor like, I, I makes a line uh, later. I forget exactly where he says, "Oh, you you do throw your companions in at the deep end, don't you, Clara?" It's uh, so. No, I liked him. You know, yeah. he's he's done wrong, but he's got a good heart, hasn't he? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm, is street art even really wrong? I mean, there obviously there are areas where you where you wouldn't want it, but flipping underpasses and you know the the sides of disused farm buildings and you know those kinds well, of it's places. It's slippery, still up, isn't it? 
Yeah, I don't know. You can't allow that and then be mad when it happens elsewhere. I think you can. I think you can be um, mad if it happens on, on the front of a grade two listed building. But, well, you yeah. know, it's, yeah, I think, like, like I say, I don't, I, I'm not, I certainly don't uh, sort of agree with uh, the, the uh, uh, what's the name of the, the, the horrible man in this story? Yeah, he's just like Captain Racist, isn't he? Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. But that, that's the thing. The, I, I don't really, I'm not really a fan of like putting hard limits on on uh, people's opportunities for creativity, especially young people who maybe don't have a lot of other options. Um, so I, I, I think it's, graffiti is not a sort of uh, clear cut kind of uh, thing as far as, in inverted commas crimes go um but anyway um yeah he's he's doing community service he's been uh he's helping to clean up the, the city of bristol yeah so he's been forced yeah. by the aforementioned cantankerous old man to paint over his own graffiti tag isn't yeah he? is it fenton i think maybe possibly played by uh christopher fairbank um and definitely in that sort of prestigious line of not really Doctor Who villains, but just awful examples of humanity. Yeah, just um, not not a bad guy, but a bad guy. Yeah, like I'm thinking like uh, the the dad in Idiot's Lantern. Yeah, the, that's our usual go to. Yeah, isn't it? And there's also there's the uh, the the the. the uh, smarmy bloke in uh voyage of the damned do you remember how at the end of that uh him off of keeping up appearances is saying to him uh you know it's a it's a pity sometimes do you think the wrong people survived because like he's yeah. one of the ones that that, that that manages to to get through it and and you know shows absolutely no remorse or or pity for anyone else just you know just another horrible person so yeah uh, i quite like it when doctor who kind of holds a mirror up to like the worst examples of, of the human race as as well as celebrating its good qualities so yeah so clara walks through a subway where there's a mural of people yeah and they are the people who have gone missing rigsy interacts with clara to let her know this so they're all it's the backs of people, mm. isn't it, facing away. Now I'm curious, you've you've had your first hint of what, what's going on in this episode, but it is just a hint. At that moment, did you have any suspicions or did you think, oh, that's just a mural? Well, I I thought that would be the people. Like, mm. but that's as much as I did think. Yeah. You know, from what I'd seen at this point, it was just a monster that just sucked people, people into walls. in the walls. Yeah. Yeah but I didn't know anything more than that. Yeah. Okay. So Clara returns to the TARDIS, and the Doctor tells her that something is leeching the external dimensions. Mm. And he's now stuck inside because the TARDIS is about 30 centimetres tall. Yep. Little pocket TARDIS. So, so when I say the Doctor's telling her this, it's Capaldi's face pressed up to the doorway. <laughs> yeah. And or I think he, the, or he can stand at the back of the TARDIS so she can see all of it. Yeah, and, and and I will admit, like the picture composition on that, it's it's not perfect. Like, 
but I think it's God. It's it must have been so hard to edit and and, and do that. Um, and it it worked well enough for the story, I think. But like, yeah, there is a, I'd say so. There's a, a, do you know what I mean though? I think if you, sometimes you catch it at a certain point and it just like it looks kind of a bit flat and and pasted on, um, the interior of you know like the close up of Capaldi's face. But uh, it's such a surreal thing though. Um, it it works quite well. Um, and then he starts. So is this where he sort of hands her the bits and bobs? Yeah, to basically so be proxy she's doctor. She's given the psychic paper and the sonic screwdriver. Yeah. And an earpiece. So yeah. the doctor hacks into her like optical nerves, is yeah. it? Yeah. So he can see and hear everything that she's doing. Yeah. And he's able to communicate with her. Yeah. Okay. So Clara tells Rigsy that she is the doctor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, 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 uh, I I love the bit of dialogue where Riggs is like, uh, uh, "What are you a doctor of?" and and uh, the doctor's just like, "Of lies." <laughs> mm. Yeah, <laughs> he's furious with her, and then uh, and then Clara's line uh, response to that, which is just, oh, I, I don't really know. It, I think I just picked the title to make me sound important." <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, like I say, the humour's pretty good in this. Oh episode. yeah, there's some cracking lines in this one. So they go to the home of the last disappearance. Yeah. Where Clara is investigating and she thinks the missing man is still in the room somewhere. Yeah. It's a classic and locked room mystery, as they say. Yeah. She points out there's a lovely desert mural on the wall. Mm-hmm. Who knows what that could be? Yeah. And Clara shows Rigsy at this point. The tiny doctor in the tiny TARDIS. Yeah. And I like, again, Riggsy says, oh, it's bigger on the inside. And the doctor's like, yeah, I suppose in this instance, that's an acceptable thing to say. <laughs> yeah. So the doctor says something stealing dimensions from within the TARDIS now. Yeah. And the doctor, again, emphasizes he just doesn't understand what's going on. Yeah. So, they do deduce, however, that this could be linked to the other missing people. Mm -hmm. So, they go to the other person's flat, so the most recent person who's been missing, and she takes Riggsy along with her. Yeah. And I quite like this part, because they're talking to a police constable. Clara says she's from MI5. Mm -hmm. And whilst the constable's explaining what's going on, the doctor says, well... The person could be within the walls. That's usually the first guess on a locked room mystery. Yeah. And just a bit like Mary Poppins, out of Clara's handbag, just comes a huge sledgehammer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, like I say, I thought the humour was pretty good. Yeah. Uh, so, at this point, the police officer takes a call and moves into another room as not to be rude. Mm-hmm. Uh, and something pulls her into the floor. Yeah. That's a horrifying shot, isn't it? Yeah. For all we criticised earlier CGI, I thought this effect was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. And it's such, like, uncharted territory as well, because I I imagine there must have been a lot of head-scratching within the effects team initially when they're given this this script, because it's like, it's not, you know... If you give an effects team like okay, we've got we need some explosions or we need um, 
you know, a, a, a big dragon monster or whatever. We're like, okay, great. Well, we know what we're doing with that. But someone being reduced from three dimensions to two dimensions, that is like... It's an abstract concept in itself. It really it? is. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think Jamie Matheson is on record as saying, actually, one of the th- the, the inspirations for him was a, a novella, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, called uh, Flatland, which no, is... It's a really interesting little curio. It was written, I think, at the turn of the 20th century or maybe like late Victorian era. And it was um, basically, you know, back in the day when uh, like country vicars and parsons and people had a lot of free time on their hands. So they were all sort of like amateur... Uh, like uh, amateur academics, yes. Uh, <laughs> you know that was a great, great sort of tradition that was has been rather lost in this country, uh, in in the preceding um, hundred years or so. But there was a period where, where like, if you were a man of the cloth, you actually spent most of your time just, just basically doing hobbies. And mm. so the 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 writer of Flatland, oh, I want to look up his name. I've got it here somewhere. Um, uh, yeah, Edwin Abbott Abbott was his name. Wow. Yes, I mean, could you get more more Edwardian? That or tells Victorian? you everything you need yeah. to know. Isn't and it? and he wrote this book called Flatland: Romance in Many Dimensions. Basically, because he was he was a um, he was a sort of amateur mathematician, and he wrote this sort of humorous fable about um, a, a square who lives in a world of two dimensions. Uh-huh. And and you know with illustrations and things and it was all about sort of like thinking about the three dimensional world from the perspective of the two dimensional world, um, and I think at one point even journeys into a one dimensional world and stuff like, um, and uh, it's a really strange but actually quite well written and entertaining little book, um, and I think that it was one of the key sources of inspiration for this story. But yeah, it just that thing of like taking something so abstract and trying to actually convey it visually um it, yeah it's ha- hats off to everyone involved in this one for even even being brave enough to attempt that let alone do it so well um anyway we've got See, sidetracked it, it reminds me of and i'm certain we'll have talked about this before on pod yeah the scene from the film adaptation of roald dahl's the witches where the girl's trapped in the painting Oh, you um, know what? It's so long since I've seen that. I don't. I, I've I've got a couple of very vivid images from that that are forever emblazoned on my memory. That's not one. I think possibly that's just a. Rep- uh, I suppressed that one because it freaked me out. Because I think for our generation, that was genuinely one of the most terrifying films. Yeah, ever, I, right? I would cite that as the first horror film I ever watched. Yeah, me potentially <laughs> as well. Yeah. It's uh, I I and I genuinely have been scared to revisit it. Not in the usual like oh it'll probably be crap way, but like I don't want to kind of reawaken all those all those sort of like uneasy feelings that I had from watching it um the couple of times that I did. Uh, but but yeah, it's um it's just yeah, it's such a great concept. This anyway, let's uh, let's move on. So so the policeman's uh, been sucked into the floor. Yeah. So the doctor then, using Clara as his instrument, spots a mural on the wall. So they rush into the room yeah. t- 
to see what's going on whilst the policeman is policewoman is shrieking. When they get there, the room's empty. Yeah. But there's another strange mural on the wall. Yeah. And this time, it's an outline of a full human nervous system. Yeah. Okay. And as soon as he realises that, everything in the room begins to flatten. Yeah. Everything in contact with the walls. So we're getting another key piece of the puzzle here. In that it's not just a case, it's not just something that's just sucking things into the walls. They are dissecting. You know, mm. they, they, they're trying to understand. That's it, because yeah. the desert mural from earlier was actually like a microscopic view of a human skin cell. Yeah. So I, I think that's quite clever, because they are all anatomically, like, accurate. Mm-hmm. But, for example, the nervous system, when it was... Because the person's laid sideways. Yeah. It just looks like a landscape of trees. Yes, it does initially. Like, the way it's very cleverly framed by Douglas McKinnon with his... The first time you see it, it's just, like, behind Clara's shoulder. And, yeah, mm. you just see the sort of spreading out. And, and yeah, it does just look like a like a, a tree. But then when you see it full on, you can see the sort of humanoid shape, like someone sort of just laying sideways on the wall. Um Yes, so so clever. Yeah, um, but anyway, yeah. So then you get that like it's it's a really weird moment as well as it when the sofa just sort of gets sucked into the the, the walls and the floor. Um, yeah, like I, kind of half melts, half crumples. I have and... fucking no idea how they did that because hmm. I think there must be a practical element to it. I can't believe that that's just CG. Maybe it is, but I'm not sure. It's so well done. Um, so everything begins to flatten. Yeah. So Clara and Riggsy to stop being in contact with the floor, jump into like one of those swimming swinging chairs. Yes. For for it, like, it's it's very convenient that the 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 house they happened to be in was someone who hadn't bothered to redecorate since the mid nineteen seventies. Yeah. But uh, yeah. they get away with it because the rest of the decor is very in keeping with that. I think. So can can these monsters, whatever they are, can they not work on ceilings? I think they can, but then also, like, it, they would have to presumably travel from the ceiling right the way down the the, the single cord. Is it a cord or a yeah, chain? But if, but, if they're in the ceiling, couldn't they, like, start absorbing that cord? Well, potentially, but um, they still have to move, and they're not on that that chair for long i think it's you know they quite quickly that they're using it just as an escape route yeah so so while swinging on the chair yeah clara receives a phone call from danny yes great timing from danny yeah so she starts playing down the danger saying nothing's wrong Uh, like i think it tells you a lot about clara that she doesn't think to just ignore the call in that moment she's just like i can handle this this is fine. She's a Billy bullshitter. She's just... She's the bad guy of this series. I mean, I'm, I'm not, I am not. I can't say anything at this point, but um, yeah, certainly I would say she is perhaps the most complicated companion we've seen in the new series so far. I think... Well, Moffat, Moffat tends to write more complicated 
companions anyway because i would say amy is more complicated as well amy is not perfect she's got mm. a lot of childhood trauma that she's not necessarily dealt with particularly well she's yeah well she the first a, time we meet her she's running away from her wedding yeah yeah exactly she's got you know there are there are layers she's not just a straightforward goody two shoes um but yeah clara in particular she has many charming qualities but she's also yeah definitely got her flaws um but i do i do love the way as she's as she's sort of like trying to brush off the fact that like she's um like making all kinds of like effort grunting noise and then there's like the the, the sound of a smashing window as they yeah. hurtle through and she's just trying to brush that off and, and when she hangs up on the phone call i i love the way uh jenna coleman just delivers love you <laughs> <laughs> yeah so they Perfect. use that swing chair to jump yeah. out the window don't they yeah yeah so this is where we get a bit of an exposition dump. The Doctor works out it is something that has travelled to our universe from a two-dimensional universe. Yeah. And it is attempting to learn 3D. Yes, yeah. Through these dissections. Okay. And the Doctor also calls Clara out on her lying to Danny about adventuring. Mm -hmm. So, from there, they... Have a little runabout, and Riggsy realizes the community is sorry, the community service people are painting over the memorial mural. Yeah. But at this point the doctor works out that they are not a memorial mural, that is the actual people. Yes. Yeah. So they try to stop them from painting over these people until one of them is sucked into the wall. Yeah. So it's all going a bit bonkers at yeah, this point. Yeah, yeah, shit's it? getting real, and it, you get that that lovely again a lo lovely effect with all of the the sort of painting like people, sort of slowly turning round, their sort of features shifting and glitching as they do it. It's uh, mm. yeah, re really effective stuff. Um, so yeah, they 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 hoof it out of the uh, the underpass. So. They do run away from the underpass, and as you would in such a scenario, they run straight to a haunted old train. So have we? Have we, I think we've glossed over one moment that I did want to touch on, because before they they leave, um, uh, Clara tries to use a psychic paper on Fenton, claims she's health uh, and safety, yes. trying to clear them out, and he just sort of sneers it and says, "That's blank." You know, try again, love, and. Um, the doctor's assessment is it takes a real lack of imagination to uh, not be fooled by the psychic paper. Um, yeah. a, 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 gr a great excuse for that not working, I think. Yeah. Uh, we've seen that before, though, haven't we? We've, se we've seen that it doesn't work on everyone, that, but generally it's been a case like, um, for example, the uh, military... Uh, church that that like their soldiers have like and i think unit as well they they do like sort of basic training in in, in psychic tech yeah, and I'm, stuff. I'm certain we've seen it where they've tried to use it on a life form so primitive i can't place it P potentially my other favorite is 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 the one where in a christmas carol where where uh the 11th doctor 
uses it to to say, Leah, look, this says I'm a re- responsible adult to um young Kazrin and uh, and he just says it's blank and and and, and the other doctor says, ah, must have shorted out. Finally, a lie too big. <laughs> yeah. So like it, I, the, the 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 thing with with things like the psychic paper and sonic screwdriver is they are really really handy for writers to get you out of a pinch but sometimes you can't have them always work or it becomes you could solve any problem with them. Yeah. What you want it to do what you want them to do is to solve the just the problems when it's convenient to you as a writer that, that you 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 can gloss over that one and move on to the next thing. Um so yeah, it's it's a difficult balancing act, I think, as as a writer, um, knowing when to use them and how how to use them and when and when to kind of put a blockade in. No, I I did like the next scene where yeah. they're in the train yard. Yes, because Clara is starting to falter a little bit. She's unsure what to do. Yeah, so we get this sort of parallel where the Doctor is saying, you know, you need to do this, you need to do that. Yeah, it's like, everything he does. Yeah, he's basically saying, look, you you need to take charge here. Uh, you need to trust him. And so Clara does the classic thing, Doctor thing of like, look, right now I am your best chance of survival. That's all that matters here. Hmm. You know, um, and that, that even, you know, manages to shut Fenton up for, for a couple of minutes. So the doctor is almost challenging Clara now. She yeah. says she's the doctor, she's in charge, and he's laying out what's in front of her. And like I say, it's almost like a challenge for her to pass. Yeah, yeah. Like a test. Yeah, like 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 she's having a, like she's a, like a driving test or something. Yeah. yeah. So you know, he does use the phrase "Welcome to my world." So he wants yeah. to see how she fares. Yeah. In that scenario. Yeah. So the Doctor realises that graffiti is a two-dimensional interaction. Mm. Okay? So he says that that will be their impression of the three-dimensional world. Yeah. So he uses the Tannoy system within this train yard to try and talk to whatever this monster is. Yes. Okay? And it responds by saying 55. Yeah, and, and oh, very good, creepy sound design on the on the the response from the aliens, where it's just this like like clicking, groaning sort of noise that the TARDIS is able yeah. to translate. But you know. that's it. It's like it's trying to learn to speak. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, so the number fifty five is the number that was on Stan from Community Support's jacket. So yeah. he was the one that got pulled into the wall. Yes. And I like the effect this time where a further person sucked into the wall. Because, again, it's that shift in perspective. Yeah, it's like an optical illusion, isn't it? Yeah, so it looks as though he's just stood in front of a box against the wall. Yeah. But as the camera moves, you see that he is sort of like s- painted onto the floor, yeah. the box, the wall together. Yeah, it's all sort of like spread over. Um, yeah. So they move into an old train tunnel mm-hmm. now to escape. And this is where the Doctor has invented the Tudis. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and I'm, I'm assuming like, that's a play on TARDIS, yeah. isn't it? 
It is, yeah. but I, I, I love that it's like such a laboured pun that Clara doesn't even get it. You know, well, that's it. I was like, is that the joke? Because <laughs> like, it's not a very good one. <laughs> no, no. no, but like it, it's. Yeah, again, it's just like, it, 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 it tells you a lot, but it's the kind of thing that this Doctor thinks is funny. Yeah. <laughs> so the TUDIS is a machine that can add or remove dimensions. It can make flat 2D shapes into full 3D shapes and vice versa. Yes, yeah. Very okay. handy under the circumstances. And brilliantly, it just doesn't work. <laughs> and whilst they're trying to work out what went wrong, from nowhere, a massive hand appears. Or what? What did you think of this? Of that moment? I just thought, what the fuck's going on here? Where's that come from? Yeah, yeah. It's. Uh, I would say of, of all of the effects work, because there is a lot of brilliant effects work in this. I think it's probably the, the ropiest one. Possibly, yeah. Um, just because, like, the moment where it comes out and grabs is is very shocking and exciting, you know, because it just comes from nowhere. Um, it's really well done. But then it, it's the moment after that where the guy's being dragged back and it all just, and, and you know, the, the tunnel's rushing past and it just, that's the moment where you're just like, oh, this feels very green screeny. And, uh, Do you know what? That yeah. isn't the worst special effect. I've made a note of what I thought that was and it hasn't turned up. All right. Okay. I'll be interested to hear that. Okay. So, yeah, just a massive hand. Yeah. yeah. And that's another one down. monsters at this point are now 3D. Yes, they're, so, they're, they're, they're basically yeah. They they started to f to figure it out and find a way to take some kind of three dimensional form, albeit like unstable and rudimentary. So the at this point now the two disc does work. I think they use it to like get rid of a door handle. Don't yeah, they? basically but, the 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 um the the creatures as yet unnamed. That's another thing that's been sort of running in the background of this is is the doctors like we need a name for these creatures um but anyway they've they've flattened this uh like a I don't, you know like the what do you call them like a vault style wheel yeah just door. an opening mechanism yeah. on an old vault door isn't it yeah so they, they flattened that so they can't get through the door but yeah, yeah. clara manages so, now to reverse that with the with the two discs yeah but we see the monsters have an ability to shoot lightning that can restore dimensions yeah so we have running about for a little bit. We do. And the Doctor now thinks that he has things sussed. However, the tra the TARDIS integrity begins to fail. Yeah, they're continuing and to like drain the power on the TARDIS. And, yeah. yeah. And unfortunately, Clara drops him on a train line. Yeah. Well, but it's not it's not so much he drops him. There's like, again, it's like it's Fenton's fault. He's flapping about and, and mm. trying to take charge and so Clara fumbles the TARDIS and yes, down it goes. Yeah. But again, in keeping with the humour, I like that they suggest that the Doctor uses his hand a bit like it from the Adams family. <laughs> yep. Oh no, is it it's thing, isn't thing, it? It's yeah. cousin it from the Adams family. Yeah, it's the thing. thing. Yeah. So you just get his hand sticking out the box and crawling away. Yeah. It's uh, but it, it brilliantly well done i think that 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 whole sequence like it's it, it it it's funny but also tense somehow you know it's it, it manages well, that balance there is a train approaching isn't yes it? yeah he tries yeah. to get away yeah so it's just but, nick of time and he, he manages to do it and then we get one of my favorite moments of this episode uh his little victory dance 
Yeah. Yeah. Ah, uh, just delightful. <laughs> but it's at this point he pulls a lever. Well, because what happens is um, he, he does his little victory dance like, yes, I've did it. But then there's a little rumble from the train and it knocks the TARDIS back over. So it's yes. it falls over and is uh, back on the track. Um, now, this train. Yeah. That is where I want to talk about awful CGI. Why didn't they just use a real train? <sighs> you get you get this shot of it yeah. like hurtling through a tunnel. Yeah. And it just looks dreadful. Mm. It's not the best, uh, certainly. I imagine there must have been budgetary reasons why it was, or, or, or maybe time constraints or something. There would have been reasons why. I think it's worth pointing out, actually, as well, that despite appearances at times, the Moffat era generally is working under much, uh, uh, like, significantly smaller budgets than, than in the RTD years. Oh, really? So even though they were shooting in HD and they've got some occasionally brilliant special effects at this stage, the overall budget per episode had actually been reduced. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It might just be the polish of HD that I think it looks better. I, I think that's definitely a factor. And also I think um, you, you've got the fact that I think there is a, there, a lot of... Um, Moffat's era stories tend to be quite visually inventive. You know, this is a good example of that. Of mm-hmm. you know, you've got a monster that is quite visually different, and I think that that kind of stuff distracts you from the fact that maybe the whole thing takes place on like three sets or only has about four characters in, and so it's a different balancing of priorities. Um, but anyway, yeah. So the Doctor has to like pull this sort of emergency lever to put the TARDIS in what's when he refers to a siege mode. Yeah. And it just becomes this kind of like little cube, like little metal cube almost of uh, like covered in, in, in like circular Gallifreyan symbols. Uh-huh. Uh, and this is where I, I have to make a confession. Well, not really a confession, but um, I'm, not, I'm not a wealthy person, right? I, I don't generally have a lot of spare cash, uh, especially now, you know, with, with the little and stuff, but I, I never really have, to be honest. Um, but I was at one point very, very, very tempted to buy a, um, to scale high quality replica of the Siege Mode TARDIS. Oh, really? I found it that there was this um, company that, that specialised in like screen accurate prop replicas. And they 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 uh, released a, a siege mode TARDIS. I think it was like limited edition of, of, of a thousand or something. I'm sure it was over a hundred pounds. And wow. there was there was there was a good sort of for for about a day. I was thinking like, I mean, well, if I just didn't, if I cancelled this subscription for a few months, if I did, <laughs> just trying to figure out how could I how could I get away with this. But in the end, I was just like. As much joy as it would bring me, I can't. I can't quite justify it. I don't. Can't I can't. It. Yeah, I can't tell you why, but I just adore the Siege Mode TARDIS, and it's never featured in anything else. It's just this one episode. But I'm, fo- oh, really? I'm fond of this episode anyway. But just the look of it, just the thought of it being sat on my desk, would just bring me the most enormous joy. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, I, I, it reminded me of something, and I couldn't put my finger yeah. on quite what what. It was. Yeah, but that was that was one of those moments where I realised just how deep I was into Doctor Who fandom. <laughs> I was really? just like, I was just like, 
the fact that I spent this long thinking about this. Whoa, I, I, I'm, I, I'm in deep. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, yeah. So, so basically, now that through doing that, it's it's saved the TARDIS and saved the Doctor's life, but at the cost that he now has no communication with Clara, and and because the power has been drained, he can't then return it out of siege mode. Yes. Yeah. So he's basically trapped. Yeah. So. Clara uses the sonic screwdriver to change the signal to stop the train. Yep. And the plan is to use the train to ram the monsters. Yeah. And I like the point where they propose this to the train driver. And it's like, um, would you be willing to ram that? And he's like, I've been a train driver for years. I've always wanted to ram something. <laughs> yeah. You, yeah. Know, <laughs> it, it, you know, it must be a secret desire of all trains. Oh, you would have thought like... so, yeah. And and again, it's 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 like it's little moments like that that I think really elevate this script. Mm. Um but yeah, because yeah. I quite like the train driver. He's he serves very little purpose other than he introduces the train into the plot. Yeah. But you like he's just a likable good egg. He is and like you're really happy that he survives at the end despite the fact he's only been in what like the, the last ten minutes of the story. Yeah. But um yeah. So, like I say, they plan to use the train. Yes. So, while she's having this conversation with the train driver, Riggsy's already on board, planning yeah. to be the one to do so. Yeah, being the big hero. Uh, until Clara also boards the train and basically goes, you do know I could just use a hairband <laughs> to pull that lever? Yeah. And you don't need to die? Yeah, and the way she does it as well, like, laced with sarcasm... Just like, I mean, I guess I'll just, I'll always, you know, when every time I look at this hairband from now on, I'll just think about the hero who died to, died to save it, you know? Yeah. Um, she's basically full Doctor at that point. Yeah. Like, that is that whole scene is just so Doctory. Yeah. Uh, so they jump off the moving train. Mm-hmm. Which appears to be moving really fast, but they just sort of hop off the side and everything's okay. Yep. Yeah. You know. But sadly... We don't it, need to go down that yeah, rabbit hole, do we? We don't. But, but uh, sad, sadly, it doesn't quite work out. Yeah. Because as they're about to smash into all the monsters, yeah. they see that the train is now just a 2D painting yeah. on a wall. So, so like, yeah. Oh, bugger. What yeah. a waste of a plan. Indeed. So they lock themselves in like a little maintenance room Mm -hmm. and they need to come up with a pretty good plan. Yeah. So Clara deduces the TARDIS needs energy Mm -hmm. in order to restore itself. Yep. So you can see the cogs moving in Clara's head. Yeah. Again, uh, uh, but Jenna's performance in this scene where like she gets this almost manic grin on her face as the plans forming. And, and again, like it could just like in the last scene, it's like, Oh, she is, she is really doctoring it up here. Yeah. You know? Um, so she tells Riggsy, she needs him to paint something. Yeah. And the monsters begin to approach. We see TARDIS life support failing. Things are building to a crescendo. Mm-hmm. And the, Monsters now begin zapping at the door. Yes. Which is two-dimensional. We assume the TUDIS has been used on it. 
Yeah. But it turns out the door is just painted on. Yeah. That is what Riggsy painted. Yes. So all the monster's energy cannot undo this. They cannot yep. make something 3D that was 2D. So the energy goes straight through the wall. And wouldn't you know, on the other side, it's the TARDIS. Yeah, yeah. So they give the TARDIS all its energy. Mm-hmm. And then we get this real sweeping heroic shot of it flying down the train. Yeah. Like train line towards them. Yeah. You know shit's going to get real. Oh, and especially he, when, when Capaldi has his little speech there. Yeah, well, he boots the door open, basically, and goes, look, I tried to reason with you, but ultimately you're just monsters. Yeah, although I love the specific line, because he says, um, you know, we tried to reason, I tried to understand you, but uh, but you are monsters. You seem determined to play that part, so I'm, I, I must now play mine, the man who stops the monsters. And, like, he sort of opens up his jacket, like, st- storms out, uh, Clara chucks in the sonic screwdriver and this would be my one mild criticism of this episode we get a little bit of deus ex screwdriver here mm-hmm. because one's up of the sonic, sonic screwdriver and they're gone and whilst he does it he also says uh, I name you the boneless because he's like all, all episode he's been trying to think of a good name for them it's, it's alright your best yeah. effort, Doctor. What um, would you call them? Oh, I, I, I honestly don't know. I hadn't thought that far ahead. I wasn't trying to say I could do better. <laughs> uh, I, I'd just call them Smudgy Joe. Smudgy Joe. Yeah, yeah a bunch of Smudgy Joes. Uh, but anyway, we got with the boneless. Um, and so what did you think about the fact that they just like he just zaps them with the sonic screwdriver and that's that? I didn't really think about it when watching it, but yeah. now you've said it, it's like, yeah. I, the re- reason I say it's only a really mild criticism is, one, everything up to this point has been brilliant, and I basically have no criticisms. Um, and also, I feel like you can justify it better than you can sometimes. When There have been times when the Doctor will just like weigh the sonic screwdriver and magic happens. In this case... He has spent this entire story studying them, trying to understand them, and knows effectively, loosely, how they operate and what they're trying to do. I don't think it's... For me, it doesn't feel like a stretch to say the sonic screwdriver could basically, you know, reverse their... Because they've they've assumed this temporary three-dimensional form that he basically manages to reduce them back to two dimensions and kind of, I don't know, in some way disable them. It, it, it is a stretch, but it's not as big a stretch as some of the other things we've seen the Sonic Screwdriver do. And, and the other thing is that ultimately we've already had, it's not like we haven't seen the clever solution. The clever solution that, you know, the, the aha doctor moment actually came from Clara using Riggsy's graffiti skills to, trick the boneless to restore mm-hmm. the TARDIS. That really... And, and the TARDIS at that point is just the big red button to, you know, trigger the end that we need. Um, so it's that's why I think it still feels satisfying. Whereas, for example, I don't know, take the power of three, where they had to cobble together that ending at the last minute and, and it was basically just, uh, the Doctor Sonics it and, and fixes everything. 
because they yeah. couldn't use the footage they had. Like, if I was Clara, once this was all sorted, the first thing I'd be asking is, like, sorry, sorry what happened back there? What, d- what did you <laughs> what actually did you do? do? <laughs> like, are, are they likely to come back? Have you eviscerated them? What mm. What is going on here? Yeah. But anyway, we we um, job done, and uh, and we get a nice nice little coda where where you know they're, they're dropping everyone back to sort of just wander off in a dazed fashion back into their regular lives. Yeah. Um, so the TARDIS takes them all home. Yeah. And the Doctor congratulates Clara for saving the world, and yeah. I I like this bit where she says, "Oh, was I a good doctor?" Yeah. He says, you were an exceptional doctor, but goodness has nothing to do with it. Yeah. P- perfect line, perfect delivery. Um, because, like, obviously, like, good men died that day. Yeah. But, you know, you've still got that horrible scumbag Fenton alive. Yeah. And, so, and, and and at the end of the day, she achieved a lot of what she did through... through um, misleading people and... Uh, and making hard decisions in the moments and all, all the rest of it. It's like, you know, as we've seen throughout, throughout this series, being the doctor, isn't just about saving everyone. You can't always save everyone. Generally, he doesn't save everyone. Um, and sometimes it means being very hard headed and pragmatic. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. What could have been a throwaway filler episode yeah. feels like it has real weight to it because of what it does for our relationship between Clara well, and the if, Doctor. If you think about it, this enemy really is no different to the enemy from Fear Her. Not a million miles away, no. No. But and it's night and the day, isn't it? The episode's absolute chalk and cheese. Yeah. It's, so, uh, we do have the final part of today's episode yeah where it turns out missy has been watching clara Mm -hmm. and she says oh i'm so glad i chose you clara so this throws into question my theory that missy is just the christian god (laughs) because it doesn't now she says it in quite a sinister way yeah so either clara is jesus yeah or missy's up to something yeah my money Clara, would be on the latter, if I'm because being we've honest. Been... Say again. I said my money would be on the latter, if I'm being honest. Well, yeah, we've been... What, that Missy isn't Christ in it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. I, 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 apart from anything else, does the Christian God need an iPad? I think it'd be nice to have one. <laughs> yeah, he probably wouldn't mind. It, it might have been a gift. Yeah. Um, uh, that's the thing. Oh, God, can you make can you imagine trying to buy a Christmas present for God? That would be tough, wouldn't it? I, I, I find one, it hard thinking of what's get my mum. Let alone there's only God. one thing he really wants, David. Yeah. Your soul. Yeah, that's true. Well, he's not, not in a sinister way. He wants to cleanse it. No, nah, he's not having it. Not having it. I'm not done with it yet. Well. <laughs> In a few years' time, when I'm up there and you're down there. <laughs> so, yeah, and it also makes me question, I'm fairly confident now, my idea that the lady that gave Clara the phone number yeah. is quite probably going to be Missy, isn't it? Rather than 
what I thought that it's the future Doctor setting them up. Mm-hmm. Well, but I still don't. I still don't really know why. Well, that's the thing. There's, there's like it, the as, as much as be... that you might, you might. It's, it's not an unreasonable assumption to make. There is absolutely no reason at this point to to know what would be in it for the 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 the. I mean, I guess it's not an, a, a stretch to say that Missy is so obviously some kind of controller of the afterlife. It seems to be. Yeah. And what on earth would she want? To have uh, what 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 what's in it for her to to keep Clara and the Doctor together? But, but is it something to do with the fact that like we've already seen Clara die twice? Is it something I mean, like I, I don't know? I don't know. Yeah. Well, like maybe you'll find out in a few more weeks. Um, before before we get much in the way of answers, I don't think it's a it's a uh, spoiler to say because we're not we're not at the finale yet. Next week it's uh, an episode called "In the Forest of the Night." All right, mm. it better not be werewolves again. I don't know. I think there's more scope in, in in werewolves. I think Doctor Who could could sustain a second werewolf story. Hopefully it's just a Frankenstein in a forest. Oh, wouldn't that be fun? That's what I'm hoping for. Well, tune in uh, next week, listeners, and uh, see if if Matt's right, if if it really was a Frankenstein in a forest, or maybe there was perhaps more to to, to that particular story. Uh, But until then, thank you very much for listening, and cheerio. Bye now. Thank you for listening to Neither the Time Nor the Space. If you wish to contact us, our email address is timenorspacepod at gmail.com and on Twitter we are at timenorspacepod. And thank you to Alexander Urban for his smashing arrangement of the Doctor Who theme.